0: vacation. So <clears throat> that's where we were a few weeks ago. So uh, how many of you love camping? <coughs> how many of you hate camping? <laughs> that's funny. We, we have a love-hate relationship with camping. A love-hate relationship with camping. Here's a picture of our campsite. Got a few tents. My daughters are happy because they like being outdoors. Here's a picture of the campsite at night, which is pretty cool. Got the campfire going and everybody getting ready for a nice little, uh, nice little evening there. Guess which one of my kids likes camping the most? Here's a picture in the morning of my son. Check it out. Our video, actually. Here it is. He decides to get up. Uh huh. Ah, he's, he's pretty happy. He's got his little speaker there and his little Wookiee uh, hoodie. And yeah, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, uh, I can't get enough of camping. <laughs> okay. I do have some camping tales to share with you, though. So uh, we were were drifting off to sleep one night. It was like 12.45. And uh, suddenly we heard sniffing and scratching, sniffing and scratching. And when you're in your tent and you hear sniffing and scratching, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, that is like something that's an animal. And we're like, well, maybe it's a dog. Lauren gets up, goes to the door, unzips the tent, and there is a raccoon right there in our tent. And so she screams, there's a raccoon in our tent. And jumps back. And so I get up and shag the little guy out of there and then shine the flashlight. And on our picnic table, there's two bigger raccoons trying to break into our cooler at night. There. um, um. So I get out of the tent, and it's my job to defend the campsite. All right, I take this job very seriously. So I get out of the tent, and I go and try and shag them away. Well, Ma and Pa, they're wise, so they get out of there. Junior climbs a tree and starts growling at me. (laughs) Have you ever been growled at by a raccoon? This raccoon is showing his teeth and growling at me. And I'm like, I can end you. So I get him out of there, and finally he gets loose. So, all right, that's how we got off to the the start. And then it rained one night. Thankfully, we didn't get much water in the tent, just a little bit. But after the rain stopped, I was drifting off to sleep, and I felt a spider run right across my face. I mean right, right across my face. And it ran at a pace where it was slow enough for me to wake up and notice and to try and hit it but miss because it ran off and then I was like, whack, ow. So I vowed that I would find this spider and end it, right? I, would, I vowed, I made a vow, but I couldn't find it in the tent. So days go by and, uh, and then on the last day, Lauren's there drinking her coffee one morning and she gets to the bottom of the coffee cup and she goes, oh, that's nice, there's a dead spider in the coffee cup. At the bottom of a coffee cup. And on the one hand, I was like, my poor wife. But on the other hand, I was like, that spider got what was coming to it. <laughs> I think it was the one that tried to kill me. Camping is really fun and really dirty. And there's lots of insects and, and animals and whatnot. So we camped for a week. And we were like, all right, that's it. Let's go home. Now, here we are with the Israelites they have been out of Egypt, which was their home for hundreds of years, in the wilderness. And it took them like three months to get to Sinai, and then it, they stayed at Sinai for a year. All right, They are a nation out camping. A nation out camping. What would it do to our country if we just all decided to camp together? I mean, all of us. We all just went to Nevada and camped as a country. Wow. What would it be like if, as a church, we all just decided, you know what we're all going to do? We're all going to go camping. So, so come next week with just a tent, and we're all going to just walk. We're just going to walk. We're going to go somewhere. We're going to camp for a full year together as a church. Food plan? Don't have one. Bring all your pets, and we're going to all go camping. Now, I know those of you who like camping, are you're like, yay, and we would eat you first. I mean, when <laughs> worse came to worse... Because the rest of us would be like, who thought this was a good idea? We're all camp. Like, I love this church. Our church has a good thing going on here. But I'll be the first one to say it. After a year of camping, it's been nice. Like, we'll just call it a day, pack up shop, and move on our separate ways. Because camping together for a year? You know what the Israelites don't yet, which is that they'll be out there for 40 years. But here they are after a year, They're camping, things aren't going well, they finally move along from Sinai, and they move to a less hospitable, less inhabitable place, and the people get cranky. We're going to spend a series of weeks here looking at spiritual leadership from the book of Numbers, Uh, spiritual leadership, because when the people get cranky, God expects the leaders to know how to handle that. Let's pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together. Thank you, Father, for this book, for this man Thank you for showing us who you are, who we are, and what your plan is through the life of Moses. We pray that you would show us about leadership and show us about our own hearts here today. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to the book of Numbers, chapter 11, Numbers, chapter 11. Now, the book of Numbers, obviously, the name of the book of Numbers just doesn't sound very exciting, but maybe you didn't know this, but the... Jewish folk, the Hebrews, gave a different name to the book of Numbers. When they listed it in their records, they called it Wilderness. So you're turning to the book of Wilderness. It's named that because it records what happened when the people moved on from Sinai and they were out in the nowhere together. So here we are in the book of Wilderness, chapter 11, and it says this, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. goes on to say, the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the, fi- and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. What we see here is, as God moves his nation around, he expects leaders... To deal with issues. He raises up leaders to represent him before the people. So the first thing you can write down is this: leaders must deal with problems in a godly manner. There will be problems. Moses had them, we'll have them, every church will have them, and we have to deal with them in a godly manner. Now, if you were here when we launched the phase two campaign, you'll know that we talked about the tabernacle, uh, the building of the presence of God, which is like God's throne with the cherubim. It's actually on the cover of your bullets, and that's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. The tabernacle was like a tent uh, that was set up for people to worship God. And now they, they built it, they packed it all up. In other words, we went out of order. We learned about that uh, because it was for, time for our collection. And so imagine everything you learned there actually happened uh, like between last week and this week. They built the tabernacle, they got everything ready, and then off they go. So here they are, more than a million people walking through the wilderness, carrying God with them right? God is like pouring out his presence on them. And then they get to where they're going and people are like, I don't like it. They're not happy. So because of the problems, leaders have to deal with them in a godly manner. Hey, raise your hand if you have stories in the past at a church where the leaders had a problem, they did a really good job dealing with it. Raise up your hand if you know, if you know what it's like when leaders do a good job. And it was hard and it wasn't fun and we wouldn't want to go back there, but man, did the leaders do a good job. Uh, raise your hand up if you have stories in the church in the past of leaders not doing a very good job and problems not getting solved in the church. A lot more hands. And you know the pain that comes when there's a breakdown at the leadership level. That's why we're focusing in on leadership using these stories to do so. I promise you, we will have problems in this church. There's no way we're going to avoid them. If we make it our goal to avoid every problem, we will fail. But the goal is to respond in a godly manner, starting with the leaders. That's the goal. Leaders will have problems. We have to deal with them in a godly manner. Now, what we see here is three bad reactions to problems and hardship. We're going to see how the people react and how the leaders deal with it. So jot this down. The first problem is complaining. Complaining. You can write that down. Complaining is accusing God of being unfair or unfaithful. It says here that the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and the Lord heard it. Complaining is accusing God of being unfair or unfaithful. It says the Lord hears in God's hearing. So how many of you have made an accidental call before where somebody tells you, hey, you called me and you didn't know it, and you left a really long voicemail, or, or I picked it up and I was just listening to you. How many of you have done that before? Am I the only one? Okay, a lot of you have done it. So what, the thought that goes through your mind as soon as you learn that is what? What did I say? <laughs> what, did, what did I say? Who was I talking about? Because <laughs> someone was listening and I didn't know it. All right. Right now, you are on the speakerphone in heaven. Everything you say, there's like some angels just listening in. And one of them's writing everything down. Gets into your book. So if someone had you on the speakerphone at work, you'd be watching your mouth, wouldn't you? If, and you're always on speakerphone in heaven. God is listening. The people are complaining. And God heard it. And they were complaining because they refused God's plan. Now we see that this provokes God's judgment. And it says, The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. This same fire that that led the people out of Egypt, that walked them through the Red Sea, that appeared in glory on Sinai, was now consuming, killing some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. We think because of the location. What this means is that the Jews brought with them people from other nations, like Egypt and other nations, and so these were like a mixed multitude. They kind of stayed outside the camp. They had their own places, and we think the murmuring was coming from there. Okay, like, why are we following these people? This isn't even our people, and, and God's fire started there and starting to move in, and people died because of the complaining, because of the complaining. Hey, how are you doing at battling a complaining attitude? Are you struggling with gratitude? After all God has done for you, are you feeling bristly and bossy toward Him? I've got to confess, too often, too often throughout the week, my spirit sinks into a state where I'm just sour toward God, where I'm, it's not like I'm coming right out and being like, I've got some, but deep in my spirit, there's just not the gratitude that there should be. There's just not the confidence that should be there. There's just not the joy. And I catch myself, If you read through the book of Psalms, very often, David talks to his soul, which is pretty funny, right? Maybe you talk to the dog. I don't know. Maybe you talk, but but David talks to his soul. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? And every godly person has to get to the point where you look inside and you call yourself to attention. And you're like, hey, hey, knock that off in there. Complaining. Complaining starts deep inside the heart. And by the time it gets out of the lips, it's already been cooking, see? But it begins when, deep in the quiet places of your heart, you protest what God's doing in your life. Whether it's pain or a delay or just nothing eventful, there's a protest and you're not happy. And you let that stew. And then by the time it gets out, you have been nursing a grudge against God and you find ways to show Him exactly how you feel about Him could show up in your lack of worship, your lack of giving, your lack of serving, your lack of loving others. You have a sour, bitter, ungrateful spirit. It's not just what you are doing, it's what you aren't doing, what you aren't doing, that shows God that you're upset with Him. This is a complaining spirit. Beware a complaining spirit. Beware nursing a complaining heart about your marriage, about your children, about your parents, about your church, about your job and your boss, about your neighbors. Beware a complaining spirit that just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs within you. You feel like things aren't fair and God's not faithful. Why should we avoid complaining? Because complaining always displays a lack of faith and a lack of love. You're displaying a lack of faith. When you just complain about something, there's no faith when you complain about someone, there's no love. It's a lack of faith and a lack of love. That's why it's a toxic heart condition. Now, the response to complaining here, it says, is Moses prayed. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. That's what you do with problems. You pray about them. You don't complain. You pray about it. You don't moan about it. You pray about it. And then it says the fire died down. So we have God listening to prayers now, too. He hears the complaining. He hears the prayers. This is amazing news. Your prayers are on speakerphone in heaven also. Sometimes you feel like nobody's here. I'm, I'm praying and God's not hearing false, false. Oh, it's on the loudspeaker up there. Moses prayed. Hey, let's be a church that prays instead of complaints. Hey, make your small group a small group filled with prayer, not complaint. Make your workplace a place filled with prayer, not complaint. Complaining, that's the first problem they had to deal with. Next, jot this down craving, craving, longing for more pleasure or provision than God provides, longing for more pleasure or provision than God righteously provides. So, reading on to verse 4, it says, Now the rabble that was among them, so these are the people who are just not happy ever. Maybe it also refers to those folks on the outside of the camp who aren't really even interested in being part of this new country. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. The people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, its appearance like that of delium. The people were, went about and gathered it and ground it, handmills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout the clans. Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. So we covered this in a previous sermon, but God delivered food free to the Israelites for 40 years. It was called manna. Uh, Imagine like a giant frosted flake crossed with a pita. I'd be on board with that. And maybe you see there's grocery delivery trucks out there now. Peapod delivers groceries. I saw a truck recently where Jewel will deliver uh, the groceries to you now. Uh, God delivered it. He delivered wherever they went, it just delivered, it just appeared right there for free. They just had to walk out and get it. Imagine your grocery budget going down to nothing. I'd be on board. Kids, go out to the backyard and get breakfast. The Israelites were not happy because they wanted different food. They wanted steak. They wanted fish. They want they're just so unhappy. Craving, craving. And Moses responds by feeling like he's got a bunch of babies here on his hands. They just keep complaining. This is a portrait of people who resent God's provision. So the complaining shows that you refuse God's plan, and maybe you're refusing God's plan in your life. You don't like the timing or the assignment or whatever. But maybe the craving is that you're resenting God's provision. God says what you can have and what you can't, and maybe you resent that. Are you craving worldly alternatives? Are you demanding more than what God will righteously allow you to have? Are there areas of your life lacking in self-control and demonstrating sinful self-indulgence because of your craving, because of you want more of that? You can crave many things. You can crave food and drink, which is what they're doing here. Uh, Don't see this as a minor temptation. The Garden of Eden, where did Satan his attack? To to Adam and Eve, the stomach, you look hungry. You should eat. When Satan had a chance, his dream to get Jesus to fall, what's the first thing he did? Turn these stones to what? Stomach. See, he gets you first to overindulge your flesh. Uh, Then on that, he can build all sorts of bad habits, right? But it's you taking care of you and you not liking God's limitations, right? You have to understand your enemy, the craving, the longing for more pleasure or provision than God provides. And you could be longing for more pleasure, or you can be longing for more protection, more security than God will give you, and then you cross over a sinful barrier to get it into your life. So it can be food and drink that can plunge you into gluttony or addiction or alcoholism. And man, if you've ever tried to battle your flesh over food, so... We in our family suspect that some of our family members might have a food sensitivity. And so we just started this, uh, trying this Whole30 diet. How many of you have done this Whole30 diet? uh, Has anybody tried that? It's like the mega diet. You basically eliminate everything uh, except for super healthy food for 30 days, Whole30. And then after that, you start reintroducing stuff to see if your body reacts to it, all right? And I blew it on the first day, all right? Like at breakfast, Lauren wasn't awake, and I didn't know all the rules. And so I was like, oh, yogurt, granola sounds healthy. Nope, it breaks the rules. And when you find out when you go on a diet, everything you can and can't eat, your body is not happy, right? It's because we are, we are craving more and more. So food and drink can become a problem. We can also crave companionship, relationships that are forbidden. We can crave more of a person in our life and the person doesn't belong in our life. Or more enjoyment of a person in a way that isn't permitted yet, like someone we're dating. But you can crave that companionship and it can plunge you into sin. We can also crave escape, relief, just just to get out from under the pain. And this can plunge us into obsessive time-wasting, media consumption, Hey, in your spiritual life, are you just wasting tons of time, days on end? Are you just drifting from God, dull in your affection for Him? Are you rusting? Maybe you're trying to escape. Maybe you're just trying to escape. You just don't want it on you. And you bring a little Dixie cup up to God, and you let Him give you a little bit each week, and then you bring a water tower to the world and say, fill me up. Maybe that's what you're doing. Craving, we long for more pleasure or provision than God provides. When you crave forbidden pleasures or unhealthy indulgences that dull your desire for God, God's anger blazes hotly against you. The people here are moaning for more meat, ready to go back to Egypt to get it and God's anger blazes hotly toward them. This is a warning to us that it could be the cravings of our flesh that drag us away from Christ. We see that here. Moses heard the people weeping throughout the clans. Everyone in the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. So complaining, which is rejecting God's plan, craving, which is resenting God's provision, and then next, conspiring, Conspiring, which is refusing to submit to authority and accountability. Refusing to submit to authority and accountability. Um, When we refuse God's plan and we resent God's provision, we will rebel against God's authority. I'll say that again. When we refuse God's plan and we resent God's provision, we will rebel against His authority. Where does this come from? Well, In verse 5, they said, we remember Egypt. We remember Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. Well, that's not God's plan. It says in verse 18, Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? Listen. For it was better for us in Egypt. It also says... Um, in verse 20, you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? Now, this desire to go back, to leave God's plan and go back to bondage, is just, it's burning at the outskirts of the camp, but it's soon going to come into the forefront. Okay, right now, they're just whispering it and murmuring it, but this is conspiring. Conspiring is refusing to submit to authority and accountability. And it starts with what people are listening to, the murmuring, the faction saying, we need to go back, we need to go back. So we went to uh, Silver Birch Ranch. How many of you went to family camp this year for Silver Birch Ranch? Any of you up there? So the lake's awesome, but I did like a little twirl into the lake, and then when I came up, I had water like in both ears, okay? So I got home, and I started feeling this radiating pain around my ear area, like into my jaw, down my neck, and I, you know, I thought, oh my goodness, I think I might have a toothache. Well, I went to the dentist, and he's like, yeah, your bite's off a little, but... And then Lauren reminded me that I got an ear infection a few years ago, but it hurt here. So so I called the doctor, and I was like, I think I need to go on an antibiotic. So I got on the antibiotic, but it took like three days, and there was just radiating pain. I mean, it was throbbing. And we went to Six Flags during this time, too. Okay, so there I am on the roller coaster like, ow, ow. And, And I had to take an antibiotic to clear up the infection that was in my ear that was causing all the pain. Now listen, when you allow complaining and moaning and conspiring words to enter into your ears, it's like there's an ear infection that breaks out. Do you know you can sin with your ears? You can sin with your ears. And leaders are charged here with the responsibility of making sure that the complaining and the craving and the conspiring doesn't get to the point where it's getting in and causing an infection in the body of Christ. So number one, leaders must deal with problems in a godly manner. Number two, jot this down. Leaders must answer the call to serve. So how will God respond to this? This is only a two-point message. There's a lot here. Reading on in verse 11, it says, Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom? Now Now Moses is getting sassy with God. Am I their mama? Did, did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore, you swore to give to their fathers? So Moses feels like a million people are hanging on them. If you're a, if you're a, a mother of small children, you know that feeling, right? It's like everywhere you go, they're just hanging on you. they just, they won't get off of you. They're just hanging on you. Moses is like, they're, they're just hanging on me. It's too heavy. They weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. What does it feel like to be Moses? It feels like he's got a million kids who are all complaining about food. How many of you have children that sometimes complain about food? Okay, Mine never do, so you have my sympathy. I'm totally lying. All kids get to that point, right? They complain about food. Moses is like, this is how it feels. Imagine having a million babies. And none of them are happy. They're just crying for food. Moses is an example here of someone who's answering the call to serve. Reading on in verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand there with you. I will come down. Awesome and talk with you there. Awesome. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So God is showing us through example how he raises up leaders who must answer the call to serve. This is God's plan to solve the problems with the people. So let's talk first about this Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? Well, God takes the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and he puts it on deliverers. He puts the Holy Spirit on leaders like David, even King Saul. But in the Old Testament, the Spirit could come and the Spirit could go. So the Spirit could leave Samson and he didn't even know it. In the New Testament, it's different. The Spirit fell at Pentecost. And so every believer in the Lord Jesus gets the Holy Spirit uh, when you're born again. 100% of God's Spirit comes in you when you're born again. You can't get any more of him, but he can get more of you. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can surrender to Him. The Bible says you can walk in step with the Spirit or you can grieve Him. The Holy Spirit is not a force or a ghost, it's a person. This is the third person of the Trinity. And amazingly, the Bible says that we are God's temple. It uses that word individually, which means when you're a follower in the Lord Jesus, the Spirit dwells in you and you are God's holy place. That should prompt you to live an upright, godly life and to ask God for help. But the Bible also uses that in the plural form, which means we are His temple, meaning the Spirit dwells here in the community of faith in a special way like He doesn't dwell in the world. It's marvelous theology. But here, it's just getting started. We see a form of it that doesn't take full form uh, until the New Testament. So God is going to take of the Holy Spirit and put it on some of these other leaders. Look at verse 25. It says in verse 25, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp. Uh, One named Eldad and the other named Medad. Eldad and Medad. I don't know what happened, but they didn't come to the meeting. They've been appointed for leadership and all the guys walk outside the camp to the tent far away and two guys stay back. Who knows? And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. A lot to mind here. The word prophesying probably here means ecstatic spiritual speech. In the New Testament, this is called prophesying or speaking in tongues. Uh, sometimes it is speaking known languages, but there's also reference in 1 Corinthians to speaking unknown languages. So this looks ahead to Pentecost when the Spirit would fall and then separate in tongues of fire on the church. Um, and, and here there's like a pre-Pentecost that happens. Now what do we notice here? We notice that God rewards those who humbly take on spiritual leadership. Um, So you can jot this down. Here's some lessons that we learn here on spiritual leadership. Leaders must strengthen and protect God's people. Leaders must strengthen and protect God's people. They're called here because there's a problem and God wants Moses to have help in solving it. He appoints leaders to protect God's people and to strengthen them. God has been appointing leaders and giving them authority throughout this book. He raises up leaders to strengthen and to serve. He raised up Moses, talking to him through the burning bush. Then he raised up Aaron, who became the high priest. Uh, he raised up Miriam, who's kind of the head of the prophetesses. He raised up the Levites and the Korahites, who set up the temple and tear it down and provide security. He brought Jethro along to give Moses government advice. And Moses set up government, governors who oversaw thousands and hundreds and fifties. And now there's 70 elders to provide some further governance and service. So government comes from God. Sometimes God gives nations and churches great government, other times he gives them bad government. Sometimes it's a punishment, or sometimes it's a way for God to establish his sovereignty. The point of spiritual leadership is leaders must strengthen and protect God's people. Now in the church, in the New Testament, God says that we are to establish elders in each of the churches. So we're an elder-led church. Uh, We have Four elders, me and three other men, serve as elders. Pastor, elder, overseer is the same office. So it's the same thing. There's just three different words for the same thing. And then the elders delegate their authority and share the power and hire staff to lead areas of ministry and hire pastors and put them in charge of things. And then they raise up ministry leaders who can lead uh, various compassion ministries and women's ministry and divorce care. And the elders put people in charge of those things. And this is the way authority works in God's church. But spiritual leadership begins in our own hearts. And God told Moses um, that you have to grab people who have a track record here, right? People who you know are officers over them, and they've already got a track record of leadership. And then God doesn't say, hey, you guys are doing really well, and I checked your resumes, and so get after it. He gives them his spirit. He gives them his spirit. So the leaders must strengthen and protect God's people. That's why they're installed, and they have to do it with that heart. I love that Mike and Terry are back from Romania. If you don't know their whole story, we will tell it in the future. Um, But Mike and I went to Europe several years ago, traveled around to seven cities in Romania just to strengthen churches, strengthen churches, provide leader training, provide elder training, encourage them. And we were on a train on our way out from London to Oxford, and Mike's like, I feel like the Lord might be calling me to just move here. And I was like, well, you better talk to your wife about that. (laughs) So he did, and they prayed about it. And here he's reaching a point in life where he maybe should start planning out selling his optometry business and getting ready for retirement. And instead, he packs the family up and they move to Romania. And he gets gets busy strengthening churches out there. That's commendable. And that's that's what God does. He raises up leaders to strengthen and protect his people. But jot this down. Leaders must be spirit-led as they serve. They must be spirit-led. Leaders must see their role as spirit-led for the good of the flock under the call of God. Otherwise, they'll turn their team into a fan club. The last thing we need in the church, the last thing we need in the church is another Messiah. Okay? That's the last thing we need. We already have one of those. So if anybody takes on a leadership team or, heaven forbid, stands on the stage and tries to, tries to a massive following of people to adore them, uh, that seat's already taken. We have a Savior, and He's pretty awesome. We don't need leaders trying to get people to adore them. We don't need leaders in the church trying to get people to fear them. That's not the point. Leaders must be spirit-led as they serve, which is why we don't look for leaders who have money. We don't look for people who have power or connections or people who have seniority. And we don't care if you've been loyal. Are you a spirit-filled follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the question. Are you following Jesus closely? This is what qualifies you to serve others in His church. And when we find somebody who we think could be a leader, they're already sacrificing their time and energy for the flock of God. They're already doing it. It's a mistake to think once you become a leader that you've graduated from being discipled. I promise you, if you become a leader, you're in for one of the most challenging and rewarding seasons of your life. Challenging and rewarding. Sometimes I think when someone steps into a leadership role, God just goes humpty-dumpty and pushes them off the wall. Kaboom! Pastor Jeremy could probably testify that since he signed up to go plant a church, the Lord has started pitching faster to him. Okay? It is tougher to believe the best. Charles Spurgeon knew this, and he talked about the pain and the hardship of leadership. He said this, Good men are promised tribulation in this world. And ministers may expect a larger share than others, that they may learn sympathy with the Lord's suffering people, and so may be fitting shepherds of an ailing flock. Hence these tears, hence these perplexities and castings down. When you step up into leadership, there's going to be problems. And Moses shows us what it means to be fed up, to be upset, to be overwhelmed, to be burned out and yet he stays in it, and he prays for the people, and he gets help. He multiplies himself. And these leaders, these men, they show up, they get filled with the Spirit, and then they go back and they start leading. This is God's way. Moses displays so many good things to him, but the last thing we're going to say here is, God's leaders and servants must be humble. Moses was so humble. We see that here in this story. He was so humble. He didn't say to God, 70 more, I don't need 70 more. There's me. I'm Moses. He knew he needed help. I need help. I need help. He asked for it. And then, and then when 68 of them show up, he's like, all right. And then two more back in the camp who didn't even come to the meeting, suddenly they're leaders too. And Joshua's like, stop him. I love what Moses says. Look at the Bible. What does he say? Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. Guess what that is? That's exactly what happens in the New Testament. Moses wanted it then. The thought that every Christian in this room, having the same Spirit that is in me, that is in the elders, that's music to my ears. I love the thought that we don't have to be like, well, we've got it, so just wait in line and we'll tell you what to do. Like, no, let's all get after it. But it involves humbly submitting to the authority of the Lord and to those who he puts in leadership. The leaders and the servants must be humble. Moses is getting this right. Listen, if I got up here after my devotions in the morning and my face was shining, I think I would struggle with humility, especially if some people didn't listen to me. And they're like, well, we don't like what you're saying. And I'm like, my face is glowing. Your face is not. My face is glowing. Your face is not. I think I'd be a little more blunt than Moses is being here, right? Moses is so humble. Come on, 70 of you, get to the tent. I need help. Come on, I need help. It's like got the veil over him and everything. All hey, right, now go do some work because we all have to do this together. How humble is he? And then the, and then the servants, when these guys got back and started... Ordering things around, the people had to be like, okay, we'll do what you say. Humility is important for leaders and for those who are following. Moses shows us this, and he's so patient. God rewards those who humbly follow spiritual leadership. And God disciplines those who complain, crave, and conspire to depart from God and to divide his people. This sermon is serving as like an entryway into three or four more sermons that are coming after it. So let me just say that again. Here's what we're gonna see. God rewards those who follow humble spiritual leadership. Be a humble spiritual leader, follow humble spiritual leaders. God disciplines those who complain, crave, and conspire to depart from God and divide his people. Hey, if any of this is growing in your heart, any of it, I'm out a few weeks ago, I'm in my back lawn. I've got Creeping Charlie, I've got Crabgrass. I've got weeds the size of oaks back there, and I'm back there waging war on these things all day long, and it's, and it's like 90 degrees out, all right? If you see any of these things growing in your heart, it's time, to, it's time to cut it up, to uproot it. Complaining, craving, conspiring, God's judgment will fall. We have many more lessons coming But when it comes to spiritual leadership, hey, leaders must deal with the problem in a godly manner and leaders must answer the call to serve. I'd love as uh, we close out here to invite up Mike Kiyowski. I invited him before the service to come on up and close out the sermon uh, in prayer. So um, Mike, we just love you. We love Terry. We love your family. And why don't you just go ahead and grab this mic. Mike grabbing a mic. (laughs) And Mike, I would just love it if you prayed for Pastor Jeremy and uh, also I'm leaving for Romania and Ukraine at 4:20 today and I'll send a little report on the trip there but I'm going to be meeting with Pastor Alex and uh, others in Romania just to strengthen those relationships so would you mind praying for Pastor Jeremy for me and then just close out our time here
1: of course Thanks. let's pray Heavenly Father we just thank you once again that we can be in your presence and Lord that you have manifest yourself here and that you are with us and we can abide in you and you and us. We thank you, Father, for the way that you continue to call each one of us to follow you but also to lead others. And, uh, Father, I just pray that you would forgive us and just continue to crush our hearts for the times that we are complaining, that we're conspiring, or that we're trying to move against you and your work and your will. We thank you, Father, for the way that uh, your word tells us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to be thankful in every circumstance. May that truly be our hearts. May you just continue to work in each one of our lives to change us and to mold us into the image of your Son. We're so thankful for the way that you work in us first before you can allow us to work with other people. Because, Lord, we cannot teach and we cannot show or lead others to go any place we haven't already led us ourselves. And so, Father, lead us and change us And Lord, show us, Lord, how to be faithful to you, to be faithful servants and leaders that you've called each one of us to. I thank you for the elders that you've called here in this church. I pray that you just continue to fill them with your spirit, with your wisdom, with the strength and knowledge that comes from you alone. I thank you, Father, too, for the pastors that you've given here. Lord, may you just continue to fill them with a compassion and a heart of love for each one of the people that are here and present in this congregation. May they just continue to know how to love the sheep that you've placed in their lives. So that, Father, in and through them, they would know your love in a very real and intimate way. And so, Father, I just pray now, too, for Pastor Jeremy, for the way that you have used him to love the teens and many of the people of this church. May you just continue to use him, Father, to love others, even as you send him to St. Cloud. Lord, just as he's been a blessing to us, may be he. May he be even more of a blessing to those where you are sending him. Lord, may you use him as a light into the darkness of that area and that many would come to know you there. And through him, Lord, plant more churches. And Father, I thank you too for Pastor Ryan, for his heart to go to visit others who are out there in the field. I thank you for his desire to lead and to guide and to direct. And Father, I thank you for his relationship with Alex as well. And I pray that when he goes to Kiev, Lord, there would be a wonderful time where one another would be encouraged in you so that you alone are magnified, that you alone are glorified. And Lord, we pray all these things so that you might be glorified in all things and through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.